So I'll have to fix that. No worries. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Investor Frame podcast. I'm your host, Paul Sparks. And on this show, we ask successful real estate investors and entrepreneurs to share their stories so we can all learn from their experiences and get closer to the things that we want in life. Today, I'm here with David Perret. Dave is a new friend of mine. I met him at a mastermind event a few months ago, and uh, we just got along real, real well. He was, we were talking about Nassim Nicholas Taleb, <laughs> who's someone that uh, he and as an author that he and I both really enjoy. But Dave is a former Marine. Um, he is a financially free Marine Corps veteran who devotes his free time now to helping service members and veterans learn how to build wealth through real estate entrepreneurship, personal finance. He uh, has a has a mastermind uh, and a podcast that he runs called Military to Millionaire. Um, he's doing a lot of cool stuff uh, in the real estate space. And he went from a negative net worth to financially free in under six years as an active duty Marine. So another just great case in point, like you can do this while you're working another job, especially as a Marine. We know how demanding that can be. So I'm extremely excited to have Dave in today to share a little bit about his journey and his story. Uh, welcome in, Dave. It's great to see you again. Yeah, Paul. Thanks for having me, man. It was uh, good to meet you in Keystone and it's been good to hang out a couple of times in uh, Zoom since then. Yeah, man. Um, you know, we got to to chat and after you heard me give a presentation on blockchain and stuff like that. And you were like, whoa, that might be the first time I've ever heard someone explain it in a way that was uh, simple enough for people to really understand. So I appreciate that. Um, and uh, I just, I appreciate the way that you kind of uh, approach business. I've been sort of following you now for the last few months, ever since I met you and just uh, you do so many cool things, man. So let's, let's kick it off today with a six word update as we do with every show. Helping service members and veterans build wealth. And for the record, I, I typed service members in as a single word to make it fit the six, and Google did not spell check it and say it needed to be two. So I think we're clear. Well, you know. <laughs> well, tell me more about that. Well, that's kind of the mission, right? So that's my uh, that's my thing. I'm trying to help as many service members and vets find that financial freedom. Um, I think that I think the military is like the best. It sets people up for success more than most occupations do coming out of high school, coming out of college. And unfortunately, a lot of them get us get wrapped up in buying the fast car or the toys or whatever. And uh, like it, you almost have to work to tank financial freedom in the military. And yet we all do, uh, myself included. And um, so just trying to help us, you know, help service members and vets learn all their benefits, you know, VA loan, thrift savings plan navigate the VA disability claims process and all these other things that we have going in our favor uh, with the ultimate goal. And we'll get to the solvable problem, but uh, of just helping them be set up for success long-term, um, you know, and the solvable problem being helping people avoid veteran homelessness and ultimately suicide, right? There's a mm. huge miss uh, just, issues in the veteran community that are, I think, mostly solvable uh, by just having people take advantage of their benefits, understand their benefits, and be able to utilize them. I mean, the the opportunities are all there. Uh, again, vets are set up very well for success, and they just need to know what's available to them. So, so is it an education problem? I think it's, uh, I think it's a culture and education problem, right? I think um, the education is there. But it's not, you know, the military's obviously not in the business of being like, we're going to like, you don't join the military and they're like, 
everything we're going to do is teach you about finance, right? That's right. not that they're, they're going to teach you about war, um, <laughs> which is which is great. Uh, the opportunities there, the resources are there, but you have to go and look for it. And the culture in the military is not a culture of, hey, you should join the military and we're going to bring you in under our wing and teach you all about this finance stuff. It's it's almost sad, but like if you join the military and you're like, I'm going to go to the education center on my, you know, during during work and go take this class about uh, the VA loan, which is free and offered on base. A lot of times your unit will be like, well, no, unfortunately you're not because we got this thing to do at work and we're not going to let you go to that awesome class that's offered for free. And so it's kind of this weird conundrum where it's like all the resources are available, but you've got to be in the right unit at the right time where they're going to allow you to go take advantage of all those resources. And so there's like a a culture thing where it's just not important to the mass you know, side of the military. And then we get... Uh, caught up in keeping up with the Joneses or, you know, the whole mentality of like when we were in combat, it was like, well, I might die next year. So might as well buy the Corvette, you know, and have mm -hmm. some fun along the way. Um, chase and tail, whatever, you know, it's a bunch of alpha males who were just doing doing all the crazy things and having fun yeah. in their 20s. So. Mm. I, I can't really relate, but uh, I can certainly like imagine what that would be like to to sort of um yeah not only is it is there a culture around let's just say not giving the information of it's i mean that's the same thing in a w2 job right there you're not going to join a w2 job and they're like hey let me teach you how you can build a life outside of this and like exactly. teach you all these tools so you know i i, I would say it's it's fairly similar to my experience in sales and just my corporate experience was like, I wasn't provided any of that information. It was almost taboo to be working on your quote side hustles while you're, while you're building, you know, they're like, Hey, you work for me and uh, we need you to work 60 hours a week. We need you to travel and we need you to be engaged in the job. And I would imagine that's very similar in the military. Yep. Can you tell me a little bit about, you know, your own personal experience. You went from a negative self-worth, uh, negative self-worth, <laughs> negative net worth. Two times, you know. <laughs> a negative net worth to, you know, a millionaire in six years through the military. Was that, tell me more about that process and just like how you were able to get financially free. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, it was simple, really. I mean, it's basic real estate stuff, right? I bought a duplex. I lived in one half or any of the other. And then that was kind of the light bulb moment. Uh, someone had handed me Rich Dad Poor Dad, and then I read some some more of the Purple Library, Robert Kiyosaki's books, and then stumbled into Bigger Pockets and read a bunch of Brandon Turner's books. And so I bought the duplex, and I rented, you know, one side out, lived in the other, uh, and I went from paying this was Missouri in 2015, so like 550 for a two bed one bath apartment to paying out of pocket like 125 to live in a two one and rent the other half. And I was like, wow, this is really cool. I'm saving you know, 425 bucks a month. Mm -hmm. Um, and then like six months later, I got stationed in Hawaii. And when I moved out that other half of the unit got, or duplex got rented out and all of a sudden I'm making like 200, 220 bucks a month. I was like, Oh, this is really cool. Like proof concept. This works. And you know, I'd only put, uh, it was an FHA loan. So I think I'd only put including flooring, uh, I put new LVP in and some paint and stuff. I think I put like $4,000 into the property. I bought it for 79, nine or something like that. And so 
you know, to make 200, 220 bucks a month, I was like, oh, this is pretty sweet. You know, this is going to pay for itself in a year and a half. Uh, not to mention the $400 a month that I've been saving for that six. So it really it had paid for itself in, you know, year one. Mm-hmm. Um, and then year later, year and a half later, I bought a 10 unit and that thing was cat. That thing, that was the best deal I ever did actually so far. Um, and I mean, it was just, it just kind of scaled from there, right? Like that, it took a while to save up for the 10. I, I ended up buying that thing with some crazy terms. It was like 85% bank finance, 10% seller finance, 5% down. So I put like 10,990 down, bought it for 212, four years later to the day, sold it for 340. Um, yeah. And it was, you know, cash flow the whole time. So I put just under 11,000 down and I walked away with math in public, like 120, four mm-hmm. years later. Um, and then, you know, but but during that time, uh, just learned, just kept learning about finding deals off market and finding deals on the market, negotiating and buying hold stuff and basic stuff and saving money and just basics of taxes and you know typical buy and hold stuff and just slowly kept rolling money back in as I made it. And I went from you know the duplex to the ten to you know one to four units and some bigger stuff here and there and whatever. And then I and then it was a another apartment and then a, we bought a hotel and that, I mean, it was just a bunch of random things that just slowly stockpiled till mm-hmm. at one point we were buying four houses a month and we would wholesale two and flip one and burr one. And uh, then I kind of shut that company down and slowed back down. But, you know, it, by the time I left the military in 21, so six years you know later, uh, I had 104 units rented. Uh, I think it was like, Four million in mortgages, and uh, it's making probably probably right around like five, four or five grand a month, uh, net cash flow ish. You know, fluctuates all over the place as everyone who does real estate long enough knows. Yeah. Um, but then I had the online presence too, and that was making some money. And so I was able to walk out of the military, and I was actually able to pay somebody a W two salary that was worth just about what my base pay was in the military. And still not have to take a job. So I felt pretty comfortable where I was um, and then just kept buying some real estate. So, you know, added an RV park, added some this some that. Uh, currently selling a lot of my like more C and D class, smaller stuff and stockpiling some cash to move into some uh, more hands-off, bigger deals. But mm-hmm. uh, it was just, you know, the long story short is slow and steady, yeah. just buying stuff that would pay me to own it. Mm-hmm. Well, I know you're so you're buddies with uh, Brandon Turner and most people who are, are familiar with that name, right? He was the Bigger Pockets podcast host for a long time, wrote a bunch of books that inspired a lot of us in real estate. Um, and he has this term, he describes the stack. I don't know if that's exactly how he says it, but like that concept of you buy a duplex and then you buy a triplex and then you buy a fourplex and then, and, and, you just start stacking it. You know, you don't take the whale down in one bite, right? You just start taking chunks out of it and it slowly starts building and building and building. In this case, you went from a duplex to a 10 unit. But I hear, and I remember it well because I didn't really start full time in real estate until, you know, 2020. I had been buying a couple rentals. And I kind of did the same thing. It was just, I bought a house and it was like a year and a half later, like, okay, let's just go buy another house. And then we just turned that one into a rental and then we did it again. And then we did it again. And you look up and now you're sitting on, you know, 
a lot of cash flow with a short, you know, in a short amount of time, but it seems daunting at the time. And I get this, you know, I get this comment. Yeah, that may have worked because you said you went from like a $215,000, $20,000, you know, deal. And then you refied it later for three, four, something like that. And it's like, yeah, you know, Dave, I'm sure that would have worked between 2013 and 2022. Like, but that's not going to work today. Interest rates are too high. You know, uh, the market is too uncertain. What do you say to those types of people? Um, you know, considering <laughs> real estate has been a wealth builder for decades and decades and decades, but all of a sudden now, apparently the conditions aren't right to be able to start stacking these types of deals up. What would you say to that person? I would say that I bought that 10 unit in February of 2017. And in 2017, people were already calling for a crash. Yeah. They were saying that the run was over and you can't make any money anymore in real estate. And by all accounts, in a lot of the analytics that had been done, you could have predicted that the cycle had peaked again. Because we were up over the values of when the 08 crash had hit already. And so on a graph, you could easily say, well, yeah, we're we're past the the eight year mark of the cycle. So in the eight to twelve year cycle, we've already entered when the window is, and we're up above the last crash. And like in the cycle, you know, like there was an argument there. Um, so yeah, sure. But you know what? I knew that they didn't know not a whole lot because I was a brand new investor. I didn't really know much, but I <laughs> knew enough to know that. In 08, the market that I invest in dropped like 5 to 15% on average in property value. And that it was a cash flow property. It wasn't a high appreciation property. And I knew that a $212,000 purchase on a building that appraised for 240 and was 10 units that was currently rented for 4,800 bucks a month gross while not in a great area was probably not going to drop too much more in value. Yeah. And so well, a deal is a deal is a deal, right? I mean, yeah. Like it worked. I it right. cash flowed as was. So if it went down in value, I didn't care. I was pulling in 5 600 bucks a month net on this thing. So if it dropped $100,000 in value and was still paying me 600 bucks a month, I could wait until it went back up in value. Who cares? Yeah. Well, let me ask you what your opinion is. Um, <clears throat> you know, we use this phrase and I probably got it from Taleb, this idea of engineering luck. You know, I, I think that there's a lot of people who look at someone like yourself and they say, well, he, he got lucky. Right. Or I, I get that. Right. I feel that at times I used to look at other people and it's like, well, they got, you know, they got lucky. They had some favorable things happen. And it's like, yeah, but you can't get lucky unless you're actually in the game. First of all, you know, creating scenarios where good things can go right has a lot to do with preventing bad things from going wrong. Like it's it's hard to go wrong buying cash flowing real estate. In my opinion, if the deal makes sense, you buy that, you hold it long enough, you're going to look to some people like you got lucky buying that. But we know that that has absolutely nothing to do with luck. We're engineering it into the system. 
And this whole concept of buy and hold, that's why it's so powerful. That's the level of education that I didn't get at my job that I'm assuming a lot of people don't get in the military is like, you can call it, it might look like luck if you're looking at it without understanding all of the, you know, the variables at play here. But we know this is a tried and true way to build wealth over time, right? It's going to take a good bit of time, you know, six years in your case to build that financial stability, financial freedom, but it's not luck. It's, it's just consistently applying the principles that we've learned over time and buying good deals. And yeah, I've found that I'm, I'm even finding myself becoming a little bit more hesitant in the current market. I'm not saying that uh, you should go gangbusters and buy anything that looks good, but I am saying like a, there's still deals to be had even in, even in uh, today, especially with some of the loan products that, that uh, veterans have access to, right? You have excellent financing, super low down payments. That completely changes the numbers on these deals, right? Absolutely. Yeah. The VA loans, the best primary residence market or mortgage on the market. Uh, and the other thing that you know, and I always tell people if, if your lender or agent or somebody is telling you that that's not the case, then it's just because they don't fully understand the product and you should go find another agent lender. Um, because, you know, as a licensed agent and lender, not that I transact either, I can tell you that the training for your license doesn't actually teach you crap about <clears throat> the VA loan, right? So it, if somebody's telling you that they're not competitive, it's just because they aren't an expert in that, which is fine. Go find someone who is. Yeah. But the VA loan has this thing that no other mortgage to my knowledge has called the EARL, which is the interest rate reduction refinance loan, which 210 days or six months after you close on the loan, you're eligible to use. And it is literally just for reducing the interest rate, but it's a refi and it doesn't require credit verification, income verification, or you occupying the property. And so let's say you bought today. And rates are at seven and you're worried that rates might go up or they might go down. And so you're like, oh man, what if I wait because rates might go down? What if I wait and rates do go up and I miss? Well, you buy today, you lock in that seven so that you don't have to worry about if rates go up and you missed the chance because if rates go down and let's say they happen to go down to 4% seven months from now, you can execute the Earl. And yeah, there's a 0.5% funding fee to execute it, but you don't have to do a credit check again. You don't have to have, you could, you could be jobless and not even live in the house anymore and do the Earl and they would drop your interest rate to that 4%. That's killer. Yeah. So boom, you just hedged your risk. Well, and so what does that have to do with purchase price? Because, you know, my, uh, my wife and I are, we've been working with some newer you know, first time home buyers, <clears throat> excuse me. And, and, you know, their concern is, well, what happens if this house I'm buying for $500,000 is not worth $500,000 in, you know, a year, right. Or in six months. And I had to have a conversation with them about like, well, you, you invest in stocks, right? You have a 401k, you do this type of stuff. It's like, well, there's a difference between trading stocks and accumulating stocks over a 30-year time horizon, right? First of all, if you're looking at the purchase price on a six-month time horizon, I got news for you. You're flipping the house and trading the house. You're not, this is not a buy and hold scenario, right? And 
that used to trip me up, but it's it's mostly about the cash flow. And if you've got cash flow at 7%, you're going to have cash flow at 5%. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's only going to get better. Who cares what the value of the house is worth? Because we're buying and holding this for a certain amount of time. I care less about the purchase price and I care more about the cash flow in those types of scenarios. Is that how you look at that as well? Yeah. And I think if you're if you're buying a house to live in and your plan is not to hold it for at least a few years, then you should probably just freaking rent. Like if you're if you're planning on exiting a year down the road, like especially if if you're planning on exiting a year down the road and you're going zero down, like just rent, just right. save yourself all of the headaches and rent a place. I rented a place in San Diego, found a place that let me sublet <laughs> bedrooms, Airbnb bedrooms and lived for almost free in a brand new four. I was the first person to ever live in the house. They let me pick if I wanted turf or mowable grass and I got turf so I didn't have to nice. mow. And I rented a four, three and Airbnb, two of the bedrooms. And I had $3,000 a month rent for two years. And I made $2,700 on average in Airbnb. So I paid basically 300 bucks a month for two years to live in this brand new baller house with like pool and hot tub right around the corner and an HOA. Because um, I was only going to live there for two years and didn't know what the market looked like. Didn't really want to own long term in San Diego County. And didn't want to pay $540,000 to find out and killer. whatever. And so like, if you're not going to be there long-term and you don't want to own there long-term, then you don't have to. And I'm not saying like, I love buying houses. Don't get me wrong, but like, it's not always the answer. There are other answers. Uh, but to mm -hmm. put to your point though, like everyone's heard the stories of the people who bought in 07 and lost their house. But every single one of those people would have, if they had been able to just hold on till now, they'd be able to sell at a pretty significant profit. And so even if your house does go down in value next year, if you just hold on, you'll be okay in the long run. Yeah. Um, how does all this play in with your solvable problem? You know, you were telling me, it's it's funny because I think you and I, I've, I've from what I've heard about you and, you know, listened to you share, I'm sort of shutting down. I wouldn't say shutting down, but pulling back on more of a volume-based business. You were saying you did about, you're doing at a, as one point in time about four deals a month. That was about the volume we were doing. And we're pulling back on that at this point in time because I don't want to do volume. Um, so I'm curious to, to hear, you know, as you've built this financial freedom, you built it up to 104 units, you're cash flowing, you've got a, a podcast that's doing incredible, you've got a great online presence, and you're educating all sorts of people. How do you think about your solvable problem uh, today? Yeah, so and and for the reference, or for the record, I actually sold the wholesaling company last summer. So I also scaled that way back uh, yeah. to where the only deals that I've done over the last six months other than selling properties i bought an rv park and we almost bought a mobile home park last month but it fell out of contract and that same group might be you know i'm looking for bigger stuff and really researching development um looking into some bigger stuff just more uh some you know self-storage mobile home rv park exciting stuff where i'm not going to be the operator but can do one or two deals a year potentially and not have to do more than that um, <laughs> because you're right. And we'll talk more on the barbell strategy about why all that is, but uh, because my other answer where I'm actually putting my time is 
the upside stuff. Um, but the solvable problem for me, like, you know what it is, is I don't think that there's a reason that most like there's there's this, you know, veteran homeless problem. And I don't think it should be a problem. I think that the VA loan makes it much easier for veterans to get into homes. And I think that there's, you know, disability for a lot of these men and women who serve that, you know, if if filed properly offers the income that will allow you to utilize the VA loan to get into a home or housing, assuming that you have at least some basic understanding of finances. And there are programs out there that I'm trying to figure out which one I want to work with potentially to see, you know, what that looks like. But ideally, like even just through the community, just help and get the word out to just help these people be set up for success so that that never becomes a problem. But then, you know, unfortunately the suicide thing, like, man, I've just lost too many people that I know uh, and, and the veteran community as a whole. But, you know, personally, I mean, while we were in Keystone, a guy that I deployed with in 2010 uh, took his, you know, I can't, did the whole suicide by cop thing in, in, uh, in Colorado. I mean, he was, uh, less than an hour from us while we were in Keystone. You know, I, I got a phone call one night while we were there. And, uh, that was, I think the fourth of the 56 people I deployed with in 2010, that was the fourth person who's committed suicide. Um, and so it's just, it's a mess, you know, it's, it's really unfortunate. And, I think a lot of the reason for that is that people get out of the military and they lose their identity, they lose their purpose. And, you know, then they you throw finances in the mix and it's just a it's a really dark space. And I think that if we can help people get their finances in order, for one, but you know, then find help with the purpose and the identity and just help them understand that like there's a life outside of the military, then we can really set them on the right path to avoid all of that. And I think that all of that is accomplishable through, you know, whether it's real estate or just even just, you know, business in general, entrepreneurship, whatever, just following your passions. Um, <clears throat> and I think that you can make money through your passions. Uh, and I don't think there's anything wrong with the W2. I think it's just like, man, if you can house hack or you can, you know, find some investments or just some hobbies or whatever, and so I'm just kind of passionate about like, okay, how can I create like a really cool veteran community um, that's supportive, uh, helpful, full of good resources for people who are like trying to better themselves and and full of people who want to help each other better themselves and free of spam and all kinds of BS and just like, all right. And, and I don't necessarily know what the long-term vision is for that. You know, there's part of me that's thinking about maybe starting my own charity, but then there's also a lot of other veteran charities out there. And so it seems like a shame to start your own. Why not partner with someone, but mm. just got to find the right one. So lots of, lots of thoughts. That's the the problem that I need to solve one of these days, but I got to get to, got to get to the place where I have enough free time to actually pull back and solve that problem. So that's why I'm scaling the real estate back and trying to move it into more passive assets to focus my time accordingly. Yeah. That's a big vision, man. And um, I'm just more recently, I've been hanging out with uh, Dean and, you know, you and I have been chatting quite a bit more and I'm just becoming more aware of the problem that you're describing um, with veteran homelessness and, you know, suicide and just lack of all the things that you just mentioned. Um, 
and it's it's such a worthwhile cause. I'm I'm curious to get your opinion on, you know, the concept of like, you got to put your mask on first, and this idea that you know you're sort of alluding to it, and we'll, we'll use this to sort of transition into the barbell conversation, which is for for people like yourself that have this big, uh, I wouldn't say you know vision, but like call to make a massive impact in a certain community, right? And it seems like you do. Well, that takes time, it takes resources, it takes energy, it takes relationships. You know, you need attention. You, you can't just, meaning like, yeah, it's great if you're, but you know, if, if you know a handful of veterans, you know, the guys that were in your, you know, your group or whatever. And yeah, but if you want to make a massive impact, you need a platform to capture the attention to to make this level of impact. Um, and again, in order to do all those things, it takes time to build that out, which is why, you know, what you've done is you've built so much reliability into your life through the rentals and through the different things that you have. And it sounds like over the last couple of years, you've been clearing more space to to spend time on what we call the asymmetrical upside bets, right? Um, and in this case, that's this big vision that you have uh, for making an impact on the veteran community. So tell me a little bit more about, you know, that barbell, how you see the reliable side, the asymmetrical upside, and what you've had to do over the last couple of years to get things out of the middle so that you have less risk so you can spend more time on your passions and things that actually make an influence and an impact in the world. Yeah. So I love the barbell theory. Um, and I have, have for a while, right. So, uh, and I'm sure your audience is well aware of what that is and we probably don't need to dig into a description, which is refreshing. So, um, normally I have to describe, you know, that. So obviously, well, well first of all, like, I don't think, I think a lot of people, I was probably the first time they heard that concept, mm. but you know, this is like talked about by the Stoic philosophers, you know, Marcus Aurelius. This was talked about thousands of years ago. Nassim Taleb's been writing about this for a decade or more. So it is a it is an old concept, but it's still fairly new to a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. And it's such a great I mean, you know, it's it's such a just simple, simple concept. And, you know, it's even 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 the concept i mean when you really think about it through like even examples of like you know risk like a book right it's like there's no downside other than potentially wasting 4 hours reading a book not that this is actually a readable book this is a planner but it's the one that's sitting next to me um but the upside potential to reading a book is fucking huge right yeah. and so you know when you so obviously for me real estate is the stable asset thing that's going to build wealth and store wealth and kick cash flow and allow me to do things and you know not take a ton of time as i move it to more passive and hands off and be able to pull equity and and that thing and and in theory we'll continue to fund the beast um and then you know the there's the passion projects that are on the far end that are the ultimate goal and kind of in the I guess not the middle, but what's been the barbell side that will hopefully eventually become more on the stable end as we go further into passion project world 
but it's currently the the upside is the content side, right? The brand, the content, the, I mean, that's for me, that's the super upside, still minimal risk. I mean, there's the risk of like tanking your reputation by getting sure. saying something really stupid and getting canceled. But um, even that is not like a negative thing. It's just kind of like a, well, back to zero, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, but the upside potential for content, branding, getting the word out there is huge. And the online you know, the things that you can do online and the scalability with minimal, um, you know, team, minimal expenses uh, is is just massive. And you can re yeah. generate recurring revenue streams and um, it's been really cool. And so that's where I've been putting a lot of my effort over the last year. That's where I'm continuing. And one of the things that I want to do over the next year is build out like a media company for service members and vets, because a lot of people are trying to build out you know, brands and or content strategies. And I think that there's an opportunity there. And I think that intellectual property and content is only going to become more valuable over the coming years. And so I'd like to offer that as a service to people where it's like, oh, you want to have a voice? Cool. Like here's some packages that we can help you with becoming whatever, you know, whatever that goal is. Uh, and then I think that through all of that, because you're right, attention um, through all of that, gaining the attention, helping other people get the attention is how we can really start to inflect that change on the bigger picture. Because it's like, okay, not only has the attention grown and my platform's grown, but now we've got all these other people that we've helped, most of which are in my sphere as veterans. And as we then start to work more and more with these, whether it's a charity that we are working with or a charity that we're building, to work on these causes that I'm passionate about that a lot of them are passionate about as well. We've got, you know, millions of eyeballs uh, to reach. And exactly. I think that's kind of the goal, kind of the, the avenue of approach rather than a monetary approach. It's just a attention approach. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> so I've been in sales my whole life and for whatever reason, the word sales can oftentimes have this like negative connotation. It's just like nails on a chalkboard. And so does the word attention, right? We, we take that as if it's like negative. Um, oh, you want all this attention. Oh, you want all this attention, right? It's like, yeah, it, it's almost <laughs> as if it's self-serving, like just to stroke the ego and Maybe for some people that's the case. Not you know, not saying that like people can't abuse the currency of attention, but I think we can also agree that that currency is extremely valuable to someone who is looking to make a big impact on a lot of people. You can't do it without attention, without the eyeballs, right? It's hard to make an impact on that many people without those eyeballs. And so, to your point, what a tremendous upside bet! um content is building a digital presence building a personal brand you stand for something right the upside to that is almost uh i mean infinite right i would go as far to say like it's really difficult to quantify the total upside that that brings again look at some of the people you were talking about someone like steve sims right i know you were uh, you're interviewing him today and you you know guys like brandon turner i mean these folks they they set out and they just started doing things. It became this upside play that now is a massive, reliable source of 
attention, income, relationships, all the things that we want more of, you can get that through through upside plays. And so no, I love that you said that because that's a that's pretty much where my focus is right now is using my digital presence to create upside. I don't know what's going to come from it, yep. but I know that it's a valuable currency that can be worth something if you have enough of it. Well, it's like the, uh, you know, it's funny because I've become, I won't say disenfranchised with Grant Cardone. I, I, it's like a roller coaster for me with Grant Cardone. Yeah. Like sometimes I love him, sometimes I hate him. Uh, my wife once asked me to stop watching his YouTube channel because she was just like, I can't follow his content. He's so all over the place. Um, and she's, she's right. He's like, if you watch his videos, once she said that, I'm like, oh, he is, he's like here, then he's here. Now he's talking about, you know, but whatever. Um, my favorite Grant Cardone quote is the one where he says, best known will always be best. Mm. And I'm like, man, every time I go to create content, I'm like, yep, there we go. That's the, that's exactly why he's so, you know, it's like love him or hate him. That's why everybody knows who he is. And, yeah. and I will say that like the reason that I say roller coaster is because there was a while there where I was like, eh, yeah, I'm kind of over him. He's all sales. And then, you know, he actually, I got him on the podcast and he was super genuine. Like he overstayed the time slot that he gave and uh, talked to us after the recording for like 15 minutes. I actually had to like rush him off because we were, ironically, we were interviewing Robert Kiyosaki like five minutes later. And I was like, wow, Grant, Grant I'm sorry. Like <laughs> I've got another guest, <laughs> Like, yeah. um, but it was good, you know? Um, but uh, yeah, I love that quote. And I think that hits it right. You know, dead on with what you're saying. It's like, if, if it doesn't matter necessarily, like your product obviously has to be good, but if you're, if somebody's torn between Kleenex and great value Kleenex or tissue, right. Often they go for Kleenex and they're like the exact same product. This one's cheaper. This one's known better. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I mean, I think the underlying message of what we're talking about in this conversation is that <clears throat> if you have something that you're passionate about, if you're looking to make an impact and influence uh, a certain community or group of people, um, there are, there's a couple ways you could go about doing that. One is like you can be doing it while also trying to build stability for your family and your life, right? Another, the way I think of that is like you're sort of like with one hand trying to put your mask on and then help everybody else put their mask on. And it can seem a little self-serving at times to put your mask on first, but there's a reason why they do that. Right. There's a reason why they put that in the airplanes is because in order to help the most amount of people, you need to be on stable ground. You know, it's really tough to be stressing out about your finances and about all of the finances can be, as you know, a very that's a pain point. Right. It's still a pain point for me. I'm trying to get to a place where I've got this ultra stability and we call that financial certainty. You've got certainty that you can fund all the goals that you want in your life. So that not because I have this, you know, grand goal to sit on the beach all day and yeah, I'm probably going to take some beach vacations every year out to Hawaii. But point is, is like, you don't also have to know what you're trying to do 10 years from now. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to create the space so that I can take these asymmetrical upside bets. I can have the time to be in like receivership to what that means. But again, it's really hard to do that if you don't have financial stability. And so 
what a what a perfect model <laughs> your career has been so far in order to build not only that stability you built that at the same time you were building this asymmetrical upside bet which is your personal brand you had to get rid of a couple businesses so that you have now more time shift that stuff to the reliable side because you're like me you want to play on the asymmetrical upside i don't want to play on the reliable side once i get to that reliable point we're good. I don't need to go out and make $10 million a year in order to feel fulfilled. That's not why I'm doing this. It's like, so I can make an impact on someone else. Again, no judgment. If you're just trying to make as much money as possible, no judgment. But for someone who's trying to make a massive impact on the world, it behooves you to think in terms of this barbell, right? How do we build reliability? Get stuff out of the middle, stuff that's like not reliable, but it doesn't have an asymmetrical upside and focus on the things that can move the needle and make that massive impact and, you know, cash you out in a certain sense. Right. And, and I just love that you're the perfect representation of that. Well, I appreciate that. Um, anything else you want to add on, on barbell stuff? No, I think we're good, man. I mean, it's, it's a fun, fun topic and we could go on and on, but I think that covers kind of where I'm at with it. Yeah, I think so. So, we finished this show by leaving our listeners with uh, your greatest lesson learned. You've probably been, uh, you know, learned a lot of lessons over the years. So either leave us with your greatest lesson learned or something you've learned recently. What would that be? Yeah, a lot of lessons. The one that I have been most passionate about relaying lately, and I think is probably the one that's impacted me the most, is to filter the advice that you receive through this lens. And that lens is if the person that you're receiving the advice from has achieved what you want to achieve and is living the life that you want to live in that realm that they are giving you advice in. So an example of that is, and probably my favorite example of this, is let's say you want to become a world-class fighter. You want to go fight in the Octagon, UFC, blah, blah, blah. Your mom loves you, has your best interest at heart, and is probably not who you're going to hire as a coach. You're probably going to hire Ray Longo, who is Chris Weidman's coach for striking. And you're going to hire, I don't know, one of the Gracie brothers for jujitsu and whatever, right? Whoever whoever those people are. I'm not a UFC guy, but those are the names that I know. Um, you're not going to hire your mom. Although she has your best interest at heart, she's probably not the best person to coach you on UFC. And yet for some dang reason, when people decide to go buy real estate, all of a sudden mom, who may never have owned a house or owned an investment property, starts going, well, you don't want to buy investments because I heard X, Y, Z, and you listen to them rather mm -hmm. than saying, hey, I know this person has my best interest at heart, but have they built a $100 million portfolio or achieved financial freedom through real estate? Okay, so maybe in one ear, out the other ear, and I should go listen to people who have. And so I say that just to say, surround yourself with people who have achieved what you want to achieve, live the life you want to live in the realm that you're looking to achieve those things. Likewise, that real estate investor who's helping you crush it in real estate is also probably not going to be the person that you have coach you into the octagon. So find yourself people in what you want to achieve to take advice from and then be able to say, hey. You know, like if you're going through a tough spot in your marriage, 
take advice from your married people, not okay. the people who've been through divorce. Yeah. Filter the advice. What's your learned. opinion on, so, um, you know, we're, I think we're all guilty of that to a certain degree. And we've made that mistake more than once. I found when I make that mistake, it's coming from a sense of insecurity and I'm, and I'm sort of like seeking consensus very early because I'm, I'm, I'm insecure about what to do, you know? And I start asking people that insecurity leads to confusion because now you're getting all these mixed signals from all these people who don't necessarily, um, not only do they not have the expertise in what you're asking, they they probably have your best interest in mind. And that confuses you, right? It's easy to, to be like, oh, well, they probably don't have my best interest in mind. Um, but when you ask your mom, what should I do about real estate investing? And she has no idea anything about real estate investing. It's it's only serves, not only is it triggered by your insecurity, you're just insecure, right? And so you're just seeking consensus from somebody to be like, just tell me what I should or shouldn't do. Yep. But then you're like, but I don't like the advice she's giving me. So you're not really looking for, you're just looking for like encouragement in a lot of cases. Right. And I found myself, you know, making that mistake so many times. I think that's just spot on advice. Got to make sure who you're asking advice for, first of all, understands the game that you're playing because at best, if you ask someone who doesn't know the game that you're playing, they don't know your strengths. They don't know your weaknesses. They don't know your tendencies and your biases. Well, they're at best giving you generalized advice. And then secondly, you're, you're expecting that someone who has no expertise in this realm somehow, you know, knows what's best for you. So, you know, if somebody is looking to get into their, they're in the military or they're out of the military and they want to learn how to get into investing in real estate, Dave's probably a, a good guy to go uh, potentially seek advice from, right? He's demonstrated not only that he he understands what those people are going through, the challenges that they face, the, the education that they're not given, right? He understands the challenges and these types of things, but he also has a demonstrated track record of doing, right? Being in that field and executing on that for uh, almost a decade at this point. So, you know, Dave, if somebody is in that position and they want to seek some advice on what the next step is, uh, and, and they've decided that, you know, you check those couple boxes, not only that you know what you're doing, but you understand, you know, the 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 things in uh, the military deal with, how can they get a hold of you to learn more about some of this stuff? Well, they can go to thebestpodcastguest.com and they can grab themselves a free PDF copy of the No BS Guide to Military Life. Or they can connect with all my socials there, including our Facebook group, which has, uh, I don't actually know if you're in my Facebook group yet, but if not, you should. Uh, but we got 55,000, maybe 56,000. I don't know. It's been growing really fast right now, but like 56,000 people in my Facebook group. Um, so there's tons of value in there, more than I can keep up with. I don't, I'm not the value anymore. I can't answer half the questions that go on in that thing. I'd never get anything done. <laughs> but uh, um yeah, all the all the social media platforms are are on there. So if you go to thebestpodcastguest.com, you can download the book and find whatever social you prefer and hit me up. Bestpodcastguest.com. Thebestpodcastguest.com. I love That's it. it. <laughs> super easy, super easy to remember, but we'll make sure to have all that in the show notes. Um lastly, we encourage everybody who's listening to this. The the title of this show is called The Investor Frame. 
We title it that because the investor frame says knowing what you know now and the conversation that Dave and I just had, what changes do you need to make to your life or your business so that you can get closer to the things in life that matter to you without chasing more and more and more? Um, Dave, thank you so much for joining me today. It was a pleasure to hear you, um, you know, share some of your story and what you're passionate about and how you think about the barbell. It's, it's been fantastic. So thanks for joining me today. Thank you for having me, brother. All right, guys. Everybody else, thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you on the next.